Hi, this is Aaron Powell. Today we've got a bonus for Free Thoughts listeners, a preview of a new show coming soon from libertarianism.org about pop culture and liberty. In this episode, my colleagues Natalie and Landry and their guest talk about one of our favorite shows. You may notice that we are in fact not Trevor and Aaron, but hopefully you will still hear us out. At libertarianism.org, things just got a whole lot stranger because we're talking about stranger things. I'm Natalie Dowzicki. And I'm Landry Ayers. What will season three hold? We have Ellie Hamlet, a community activist at a DC-based think tank, here to help us imagine what 80s horror we should brace ourselves for tomorrow. Thanks for joining us, Ellie. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, we should probably note that while we can't spoil season three, because as of this recording, it has not been released yet. uh, But if you have not seen seasons one and two, we may be dipping into those events a little bit. So if you haven't watched them, pause this, stop whatever you're doing and go and watch those. Watch the whole thing right now and then come back and join us. All right. So now let's kick it off with setting the scene. We are in Hawkins, Indiana, and the summer is heating up much like it is here in D.C., sticky and gross. <laughs> a rather perfect setting for our old and new demon friends from the Upside Down. Do we think our beloved characters, Will, Dustin, Lucas, and Eleven, will stay innocent? Landry, what do you think? I don't know if they really were innocent at all after the first season. I, watching the second season... You see them sort of dealing with and managing the trauma that they're all living with after the first season. And I think Hopper even says to um, Joyce at one point, nothing's ever going to be the same after this. So I'm wondering where we go from here. Uh, It seems season two, based around Halloween, was sort of spooky and scary as if things were getting a little darker and this one's all set around july the 4th so maybe we're going to something a little more explosive and and sort of the big bang that's coming i but i don't know if they're if they're really innocent anymore at all well i think it's also interesting because halloween is notably a kids holiday so as we're kind of going progressing through their year and I wonder how much older they're going to seem. I mean, we know the characters are growing up very quickly, especially from the jump from season one to season two. But from the jump from season two to season three, I wonder how much we're going to get of them actually becoming like preteens now, Um, partially because the last season ended with like their first school dance, where it was like all awkward and the boys are separate from the girls and they're dancing like feet apart. Um, So I wonder what we're going to be in for this summer. And also part of me, like, I liked the scenes where they were getting, uh, I guess when they were dressed up as Ghostbusters in season two, they were like kind of getting made fun of that they were still dressing up. We have scenes where Mike's throwing away his toys. They're still uh, obviously very into arcade games. That was a big theme in season two. Um, So I'm wondering how much of that will carry over. What are are your thoughts, Ellie? It is quite difficult to stay very innocent after such a traumatic experience has happened. But what I was thinking when I was watching the shows is how how striking the bravery of these of these kids are. Um, but then I was thinking, because, uh, you know, season one, it's it's all about Dungeons and Dragons. And then the second season, it's all about the arcade games. It's almost like they're getting to relive these experiences. So or you live them in real life, I should say. So I thought that was very interesting that they're so gung ho to, you know, find Mike and then find the mind flayer. Um, and it it just seems to me that they, this is their chance to live out the games that they're playing in real life. So I wonder what we're going to see 
what the theme for like the third season will be. I also think it's interesting watching the boys in contrast with Eleven in terms of innocence because Eleven never really had a childhood, um, doesn't have like a good sense of like what family means. And it's very interesting watching them interact with her because in a way she values her friends like we like most of us value family. Um, and she's kind of wondering what what this innocence is and doesn't really know how to how to deal with it in my in my opinion. I also think going back to what Ellie said, the the differences between starting with Dungeons and Dragons and moving on to uh, the hard cake game Dragon's Lair. I, I think it's interesting because Dungeons and Dragons is all about sort of exploring within this whole world that you get to create and explore with, you know, the dungeon master kind of controlling and setting things in motion. Whereas the arcade games are, there's a very limited number of options that they can pursue and and dealing with obstacles that sort of limit them a little bit more. So I, I wonder if I'm reading a little too much into it, if it's sort of mirroring their sort of lack of, of choice and, and sort of the, the rigid things that they're getting set into now. But I'm I am curious about that third game or or to see if there even is a game that they start with season three to see what kind of choices and and path they're going to be taking for the third season. I also think it's interesting because we have to remember they are kids, right? But if you're looking at them compared to today's kids, how much freedom they have. They're riding their bikes all these places. Their parents are pretty much like non-existent besides for Joyce, but rightfully so right her son is being possessed but i think it's really interesting because even like the little glimpses we get of um the other kids parents are very brief and usually it's like the kids are lying to them about where they're going or they're saying they're going to be somewhere they're not and how late they'll be out and it's interesting because usually a lot of the time you see their older siblings or their older siblings friends be the ones taking care of them or trying to solve the issue so and a lot of ways, besides Hopper and Joyce, a lot of the adults in the show are very like laid back, not very aware of everything going on. I, I feel like that's a trope in a lot of 80s films of sort of like the absent parent going on. And in a way, Stranger Things kind of subverts that with Joyce specifically. But in a lot of ways, it obviously pays homage to it uh, with, uh, for instance, uh, Mike's parents who are... are constantly portrayed as trying to parent but not using a very heavy hand i think the worst thing that happens to him is he has to not watch tv or or they threaten to sell his atari at some point compared to joyce who is making sure that her son is you know actually safe and and keeping him at home to maintain his physical safety I mean, I remember one point in season one when they think that Will has died and Mike is very upset. Mike's dad is like, should we go talk to him? And his mom is like, no, he'll come to us when he's ready. I mean, that is some hands-off parenting in my opinion. But uh, yeah, I think the most parenting we see from Mike's dad is whenever one of the children curses, he's like, language. And that is the extent. Exactly. Yeah. So if I was riding my bike at their age, late at night, fighting monsters, I think my parents would have had a very different response. Probably would have ended with me grounded, if, <laughs> if anything, especially if I was just out late trancing around on Halloween. And I just think that's very interesting. And it's also uh, much like Landry said, it's a callback to the 80s because that's like the heyday of children being free um, and away from like helicopter parents like we might see today. I can't even imagine what kind of show this would be if the same events happened 
but in the current climate, somebody would just text someone instead of, you know, looking for them and constantly riding around. I mean, kids go outside these days. I don't want to play into the idea that kids are just inside all the time. I mean, I don't know the statistics. They probably are. I spent more time inside than these kids, but I'm sort of bridging the gap between a kids these days and the ones set during the show. But I also want to know, what are you most looking forward to in season three? Are there any unanswered questions that either of you are curious about or perhaps characters that you are, are wanting to see make a comeback? I think for me, at least, I... Prior to season two, I was really ready for Eleven's background story because in season one, we got nothing, right? And then season two, we got a little more explanation of her mom and uh, her sister or who she says mama. Um, And we get a little bit more of like what happened to her and what led her there. I would kind of like to see more of um, Hopper and Eleven's relationship, to be honest. I think there was a, a substantial arc in their relationship last season from him being like, should I be a parent? Should I be a friend. I care about her. I want to I want her to do what's right and I want her to stay safe, but I don't think Eleven realizes that yet. I don't think she appreciates that fully and I kind of want to see that blossom a little bit more, which is kind of interesting because it's another parent-child relationship which we said are very few of in the show. Well, you know, especially since the only real parent relationship she's seeing are Mike's parents or uh, Lucas's parents. Um, but when you contrast that to Hopper, who's trying to parent and trying to keep her safe, she would not understand that. Um, especially because she hasn't been socialized yet to, to understand what dangers are uh, besides the bad men. She has no understanding of actual real life dangers that other kids are facing these days. Um, so I'm interested in seeing her kind of adjust to society in a meaningful way. It'll be interesting to compare her development as well, because she'll be sort of trying to adjust to life with other teens and getting to know people her own age while they're all navigating this very sort of tumultuous period of adolescence that you know, stacked on top of it. So you can see them starting to develop romances with one another. And they're like, there's so much puppy love going on. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I, it'll be interesting to compare how those two sort of conflict with one another and, and how it complicates things amongst all of them, because while is it her and, and Mike that have the, the sort of infatuation with one another? Is she going to understand where she's coming from and where and he's going to have, you know, a little bit more context, but not a lot. And we, we all know what happens when you start relationships within friends and that'll be a weird dynamic. I'm sure the other boys are going to get jealous because there's only well, now there's two girls in the group with Max, uh, Mad Max. But um, that is always going to create a weird dynamic. And I'm sure Eleven is going to be challenged by it. Yeah. Yeah. And the only real context she has is the, the movies that she's watched. So I'd li yeah, I'd really like to see how this ha how this plays out. Who I'm really interested in seeing uh, develop and and sort of us learn more about in season three is Lucas because of all the group of those those core friends at the beginning, I feel like we've gotten the least amount of backstory for him. We don't get to see his home life quite as much. We we saw Mike and Will and Dustin. Dustin a little bit more in season two when he finds the polywog, but Lucas we don't see as much, and I'm hoping that maybe his relationship with Max is something they're going to explore a little bit more because I feel like there seems to be some tension with Max's brother that they hint at in the second season, but I don't know if they ever go 
outright with it. But I'm wondering if perhaps in this third season, that's going to come to more of a head and there's going to be some conflict there as their relationship develops. And I think we also have to remember as they're creating all these relationships and getting to know each other more, they've also been through like significant trauma. Um, So that's also going to be something that's going on along the way. I mean, do you ever really recover from being like possessed? Do you ever really recover from like for Eleven, like opening the gate and like all of that kind of uh, mental trauma she's been through? And I think it's kind of important that and I think it's going to be a big part of season three is like not only how do we move on from this but how do we move on from this and continue to like fight the good fight which is like what they're trying to do I'm wondering what you guys think the upside down represents I don't even know what the upside down represents maybe it's something about sort of the duality of the world and and that this world you're living in seems bright and full of, you know, something you can explore. But there's always going to be this other side that is following you that you have to learn to navigate or or live with in uh, Will's instance. You know, that's something that's always going to be with him and going to be sort of uh, encroaching on his life. And while it's not physically manifesting for all the other kids, it's certainly affecting all of their lives. So maybe it's something about how you have to sort of learn to navigate and learn to live with things that are seen as evil or bad as composed to the good that you want to explore. Yeah, I think I think I completely agree with you. I think it's more of like they're going to be learning how to live in the in-between and like not to sound like they're they're going to die or something, but they have to learn to live with like the hardships and the good things. And I think they're somewhere in there right now, but they have no idea what's coming next. Um, and I think part of it is like internalizing what's already happened and being able to get to that next step. You, you know, when you're in the upside down, when Eleven is in the upside down, you kind of only see snippets of, of the scenery and it's all kind of um, like a black mirror, right? So it's almost like it is picturing the actual trauma. So when you see when, when Eleven finds Barb and uh, that is, it seems to me to be representative of Nancy's trauma or when she's seeing Will and he's starving and he's like, hurry. We, we see that and I think that is the memory that, you know, Will is carrying with him, that sort of thing. So I think we should shift gears here a little bit and talk about authority. <laughs> so how much are our beloved kids and Hawkins trusting of authority? How much is the society trusting of authority? We like we see them hint a little bit that we don't like the Department of Energy and their cover up. I'm wondering why they chose the Department of Energy to blame it on. Um, and I'm kind of wondering uh, what you guys think of that in our libertarian plug here, what we think of authority. Well, certainly, I think that they chose the DOE because it's less conspicuous. If you put, you know, the Department of Defense right in the middle of Hawkins, Indiana, you know, everyone would be like, what are, what are they doing here? But even at the very beginning, um, when they first go to check out the DOE because they, they found the piece of hospital gown in the tunnel, um, uh, and one of the police officers is like, I, I hear they built the space lasers there. So like everyone hears all of these rumors about what might be going on at the Department of Energy. And I think that they chose it. So it'd be less conspicuous. Sure. And it's set dur- obviously during the Cold War. So there's like tensions over nuclear weapons and the sort of lingering threat that that could entail. So I think while it is 
inconspicuous, it it still gives them enough leeway from a production standpoint to be like, but you know, you never know. They could be involved in something nefarious there. Well, it's also funny because like, do we know a lot of what the Department of Energy does? Like for your DOD example, like a lot of people understand the general gist of what the DOD does. Most of us probably, unless you're like really into energy, don't necessarily know exactly what the DOE does. Um, and I also think it's funny, like in the second season, when for some reason, when Will is being possessed, Joyce is like, oh, let's take them, take him to the lab because that's like the doctor they've been seeing, who's like essentially a fake doctor, right? Um, and, and it only comes towards the end of the season that she's starting to question whether or not she should take him to like a real hospital. Don't don't take your kids to the DOE if you want a real doctor. That's one, one thing, too. It's just like very she knows something's fishy going on, but she's not willing to say like, oh, they're really like they're conspiring against us. I know it. But like there's so many hints that that she sees that she's like, hmm, maybe I should think more into this. But like, no, my son is being taken care of by like a bunch of people that don't care about him slash know what's going on. Um, and I think there are quite a few red flags that she might have missed to like take her children elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, at one point when they're trying to when they're trying to kill the demodogs and Will's reacting badly, uh, I remember one of one of the doctors is like, "Well, if he dies, he dies. Like it's for the greater good." I feel like that was kind of the whole um, era. I remember um, Mike's dad when they were trying to find Eleven at the end of the first season. He was like, "He's they're the government. They're on our side." Like no one would even think to not trust in the authority. Right, and it's really interesting. A lot of the adults are, you know, at first, and they don't all turn out this way, but they're very trusting of authority and those in power. Perhaps only Hopper is the one that's a little hesitant, but he also occupies a place of power, albeit lesser on the totem pole as, as a local police officer. But all of the, the kids are, are being asked to trust members of authority. So at one point, in even in personal relationships, Hopper has to ask Eleven, I need you to trust me because we can't you can't go outside. You can't go trick-or-treating in season two because it, it's not safe. But then you've also got someone like uh, a, a great character, Steve Harrington, asking Nancy to trust him about their relationship and how he, he has hope for the future and everything's going to work out fine. And even if I don't you know, graduate this year and I, I can just get a job with my dad, then, you know, we're going to we're going to you know we're in love and everything's going to turn out great and all of the kids are very very hesitant based on what they've been through to trust members of authority and i don't think that that distrust is something that should be ignored i think it's something that definitely is warranted well also like talking about trust and whatnot i remember in that conversation when hopper was supposed to watch a movie with 11 i think and he like lost track of time and then he gets home and there's this big blow up and it ends with um 11 saying well friends don't lie um and she repeated that multiple times and i think it's interesting because as we were saying earlier 11 doesn't necessarily understand innocence and childhood and like obviously a lot of like the first thing a little three-year-old tells a little white lie um she never really had that experience so she doesn't necessarily understand one trusting someone that's lying for her good in a sense or two like 
what a lie necessarily means in a like in a, in a relationship. Um, and I just thought it was interesting because then the same kind of sentiment happened when Max was learning the story of what happened to Eleven, and she like at at the end she like was just laughing. She's like, "Okay, funny story. Like you got me." And they're like, "No, no, no. Like this is real. Like you can't tell anyone." And so she just assumed that they were lying to her just to like make her feel part of the group. And in that in that same scene, they started freaking out. They're like, "You can't tell anyone because like they were worried about." someone finding out that Will just didn't get lost in the woods like they were saying um, and they were worried that if it got out more that they were going to get in trouble from whether it be the government or whoever's trying to cover up what's happening to Will. Um, so those kind of lying and trusting of authority, not trusting authority, all kind of weave in together throughout. And I think like that's also an important part of childhood, right? So you're understanding like what's appropriate in relationships as well as in terms of like trust and also like learning how to trust someone is like a big part of childhood. Because um, like you obviously grow up trusting your parents and like you're trying to figure out how you trust other people that aren't family members and how you how you gain that from someone as well as like how you earn it from someone. Right. And with Dr. Brenner, uh, it their entire relationship was based on conditional love, right? If you do this well, I will reward you in some fashion with affection. That really can that can really mess with your head too, especially when you're trying to figure out how how to love someone and how to receive love in a way that isn't conditional because it's totally different. Especially when we're thinking and seeing Dr. Brenner as like a government figure, the idea that it's a seemingly, you know, a relationship where Eleven's providing something for a greater good, but she is only rewarded when she gives them something that they deem useful. I wonder if that is sort of a, a theme that, that we as libertarians can seize upon to say, like, how beneficial is that relationship? And it, it obviously Seems is rather very transactional. It's coercive, definitely. All right. So do we want to move to some fun questions here, guys? Get some good predictions and we can, you know, picture what 80s tropes we're going to use. We've already used a ton of them in the first two seasons. So I'm wondering which ones are going to be left to use. Um, but let's start off with Ellie. If you were a character in the show, who would you be? Oh, definitely Mr. Clark. On the Curiosity Voyage. I think he's a great character. I want to get to know more about him. He's a very fun guy who has basically just been used as either set dressing or to explain very tough concepts like the space-time continuum and traveling through dimensions, um, which was rather advanced for um, an elementary or middle school science teacher, but I'll take it. Um, But I we get more backstory the more seasons we get for those minor characters. So I want to know more about him. I think that's going to be pretty interesting. Maybe we can get some sort of peek into his home life or he'll be involved with something. Yeah, me too. Especially, you know, a great teacher can make all the difference, right? So it's awesome to see how into science these kids are. And it's definitely because of Mr. Clark. I mean, a good teacher can be very inspiring and it can keep them in their passion. And obviously, these kids have quite a propensity for science. Well, it's also funny, too, like they're they think the upside down is some has some type of scientific explanation. Right. And they're they're just searching for it, probably because of Mr. Clark. They think that um, and they're obviously like very, very nerdy kids. So they kind of look up to him in a way they're like, one day I'm going to be him or one day I'm going to be as smart as him. For me, I'd want to be Dustin. 
Um, partially just because I think he has like a balance of a sense of humor and like a sense of urgency. So when he has Dart and it eats the cat and he's like freaking out. Mind you, he, he lies to his mom in the process, tells her to go away. Um, but he's freaking out and he's like calling everyone up, code red, code red, and no one's answering. And he's just kind of going about his day and like devises all these traps <laughs> for Dart and like tries to get him stuck in the basement. And he was very, uh, very devoted. And like, it's so funny because when he finally gets a hold of someone to help him, he like reprimands them right away. And I think I just... I see a lot of myself in him, <laughs> um, and I I hope that his character development continues. Though I think he's going to grow up quite a bit in the next season. I, I there were a lot of characters that I wish I was like I wish I had the bravery of some of the kids or the beautiful head of hair that Steve Harrington has. Mm. But uh, of all the characters, I think I might be a Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Well-meaning, going to try and give some great advice. A little goofy, but, uh, you know, good at heart. And uh, I think I, I would try to, you know, sacrifice myself for, for the people that I care about, but uh, maybe not always be the most competent or useful in a, in a firefight situation. But I definitely see, uh, I see myself as a Bob. He, hey, he was also very trusting. They were telling him the whole story and they have this crazy map on the wall. And he's like, okay. <laughs> like didn't question it. it was like all right like let's get to work <laughs> yeah he, like, he indulges them a yeah. little bit and i think that i would if if someone goes to that length to try and explain something to me I, i'm not going to dismiss it outright i'll 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 uh i'll allow it for a little bit and sort of indulge them that's a friend you want to have when they show when he has all the tunnels on the wall he's like did you draw this that's all he says he's like did you draw this he wasn't he wasn't concerned that someone was like possessed or just out of control. He appreciates the art. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a question. We know that Stranger Things has a lot of fun with music. They've got a great score, uh, a great soundtrack and use of, of music from the time. If you were on Stranger Things, if you were a, a different character and they showed you for the first time, what song from the 80s would play? As they introduced you. So I did consider Girls Just Want to Have Fun, but I thought that was too mainstream. So I'm going to have to go with Heaven is a Place on Earth. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> Mine would be my go-to karaoke song, which is Welcome to the Jungle mm. by Guns N' Roses. Good one. I would love to have like a big entrance. Like If I'm ever giving a commencement speech <laughs> or anything, that is the song that will play as I walk on stage for sure. I think it might be Round and Round by Rat online. <laughs> I don't know why. I just think it's it's a great jam. But I, it's just, I think it, it has a lot of energy to it. And I would like to play someone cool on the show, even if that would be a stretch for me. <laughs> I think it also depends on what scene we're walking out in. Because I also considered Eye of the Tiger. Like, if I was mm -hmm. trying to intimidate someone, I I would definitely want Eye of the Tiger playing. But if it's just, like, introducing me... I think that'd be different. It depend definitely depends on the the type of scene. Very true. Mad Max's brother got a great entrance. I don't remember the song, but I remember being like, I believe it's uh, "Rock You Like a Hurricane" yes. by yeah. Scorpions. Ah, yes. Mm. Uh, yes, very that was good. perfect. He yeah. has a really good soundtrack. I think it's "Shout at the Devil" plays at one point. I mean, obviously they're trying to lean into what he might be interested in music wise, mm -hmm. but I think he was a really a good character, and they they served him well with his his soundtrack choices. Well, they also gave him a 
more so different personality and different just like he's kind of he's kind of badass right <laughs> so like they're gonna give him more like upbeat songs and more ones that are a little bit edgy which like play into his character right and he's the new kid in town so they want to really create something jarring to illustrate that he's there to shake things up and introduce new conflict into the situation yeah he seemed to be written in for the purpose of writing in an, an antagonist and i think they might be hinting that he's going to be much more of a villain in season three which I'm pretty excited about because I thought I thought he was pretty interesting and I'd like to see some more development from him, as I said earlier. So can we name every 80s movie that's referenced so far? Well, luckily, I have a list. <laughs> so let's... Oh, Landry, that's cheating. No, I'm I'm the dungeon master in this scenario. Okay, so fine, fine. I'm going to say I cede my power. Let's see how fast we can do this. Uh, I'm going to put I'm going to uh, start a timer for us. I'm going to put a minute on the clock and you're going to, between the two of you, just name all the, these are movies that were made in the 1980s. So they reference a few made before and after, but I only listed the movies made in the 80s that there are homages or references to. Okay. And then I'll, I'll see how many you can get. Oh, gosh. So, all right. Your minute begins. I, there's no way I'm going to come up with 20, but I know uh, 16 Candles. Definitely Ghostbusters. That was pretty obvious, though. Yeah. Uh, Breakfast Club. Oh, yeah. Um, ooh, Indiana Jones, right? Um, yeah. The Exorcist? Mm. Or Exor... Uh, I, I was going to say Exorcism, Emily Rose, but I don't know which one's in the 80s. Um, the Goonies, definitely. Um, do, they, do they ever reference E.T.? 30 Seconds. Oh, uh, I think so. Yeah. Was that on the list? Oh, yeah, we're good. Keep going. <laughs> um, the Shining. I feel like Star Star Wars? What, or is that the next season? Oh, okay, good. <laughs> oh, that one's... Um, 15 seconds. Jaws. Definitely Alien. Definitely The Terminator. Is The Terminator not on there? Oh. Five seconds. Uh, I don't, I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any more. All right. Oh, okay. Well, oh, actually, I looked this up. It came out in 1990. What the heck? Really? Sorry about that. No points awarded for it. Oh, All right, man. we have one, two, six, seven, eight, nine. 10 out of 37. The movies you missed were Aliens, Altered States, Blow Up, Body Double, Carrie, Close Encounters. There's 37 other movies. I'm not going to read them all. What ones are more well-known that we missed? Uh, Firestarter is a Stephen King story that's a big influence. Karate Kid. Oh, yeah. Mad Max, Road Warrior. We didn't mention Poltergeist is a very Um, big influence. Stand By Me with Mm -hmm. the four friends. Um. Oh, 11. Sorry, I forgot to highlight the Terminator. So 11 is what you got. <gasps> 11. Oh, how wonderful. Look, that, look at how that worked out. Uh, and and a few others. But those are the big ones, I okay. feel like, that, that you might recognize. So which one? Which What's left? <laughs> like, wh- what are we going to hit next? What are we going to hit next season? You know what I was thinking is Baywatch. Was that big in the 80s or in the 90s? I think that was 90s, but we could we could grow. We could grow into it. Baywatch would. Right. Because it's set in the summer now, too. We could get. We've gotten pretty much all of the famous scary movies from the 80s in terms of like The Shining, obviously, was the biggest one. Um, you know, what? when was Nightmare on Elm Street, something like yeah, that? Yeah. Where was when was Silence of the Lambs? 
I believe that was early Nin- 90s. Early 90s. It was yeah. somewhere around that time, right? So we could grow into them. Some of our listeners are, are, <laughs> are shaking yeah. their fists at us right now. Yeah. <laughs> to put into context that we were not alive in the 80s. Yes. So we're going to put it that way. Which makes us like, you know, super qualified to talk about life in the 80s. Yeah. Just, just from our experience in Stranger Things. Well, I had to call my mom to prep for this. I said, what was big in the 80s? Do you guys think that's one reason that this series has been so successful is that there is a sense of of nostalgia for an era that perhaps people our age may not have experienced, but for people a little bit older than us, they see as their childhood. Well, I think in terms of audience, they did an excellent job of appealing to a wide audience. So like you just said, they're going to you're going to get our parents who like look at that like nostalgia, you're going to get us and those who are slightly older than us, but not are not old enough to be our parents yet that know of a lot of these themes, but didn't live through them. So like, obviously, I've seen most of the movies that we just listed, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't something that I was growing up with, which is definitely a different way I view the show than my parents would view the show. Um, And obviously, they would have different opinions on how accurate certain um, like themes are. But I think a big thing is that they're going to appeal to that wide of a range, partially because people are interested in how they portray the 80s. Do you think there's going to be a, a Stranger Things style show for, for the 1990s or the, or even the 2000s where they take a bunch of references and homages to things that happened during those periods and, and make something out of them? We're is living there, in it right now. <laughs> is there something that is such a, a clear aesthetic as what the 1980s is sort of pictured as? Or do we need a little more distance from it, do you think, for that to, to crystallize? Definitely need some distance from it, but I'm picturing like for the uh, for the like 2000s, like frosted tips and like denim on denim, oh, like very Britney Spears at Backstreet Boys. Oh yeah, we could do it. <laughs> we should write it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. That's how we'll do yeah. it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, make sure to rate and review Free Thoughts in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more about libertarianism, visit us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.